always kept locked. It was the garage. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving. Now you're running, running cars. Tell them it's your car and you do what you want with it. I own this car, I do as I please. I also own the highway. My taxes paid for that. They're both mine. I own the highway and I own the car. I own everything. Welcome to Throne Wrenches. This is Eric Stahl. And I'm Daryl Scott, and this is the auto podcast that loves a good cannonball. Yeah, or something like a cannonball. We got lots of cannonball talk tonight, right? Cannibal or cannab- cannonball? Uh, no cannibal shows okay, yet. Okay, good. But, good. We, but we could work that direction if we have to. Yeah, it's early. Um, all right, so on this show, we have Steve Brown, and we're going to talk about his Coast to Coast record. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're at Throwing Wrenches uh, Professional Studio. We didn't drag Steve over to the basement studio. so <laughs> Either one. So this is Studio C, but it's it's the nicest studio we have. So Exactly. All right, so before we get into uh, this great conversation we got about uh, Steve's Coast to Coast record, we got to thank the sponsors for helping out the show. First off, Fort's Toyota Pekin, toyota-pekin.com. They are a small, family-owned small business in the heart of central Illinois. They live the Toyota lifestyle, beautiful, functional, high-quality cars and trucks that will stand the test of time no matter what your budget is. Visit them at toyota-pekin.com or stop by Forts today at 120 Radio City Drive in North Pekin or, like we say to everybody, 15 minutes from anywhere in the Tri-County area. Like I said last show, with the Supra, you can pretty much pull that off. Uh, Full disclaimer, I do work at Forts Toyota Pekin. Uh, don't hold that against me, Daryl. I'm going to be a Toyota shill all night, probably. It's fine, it's so. fine. And you have driven the Supra, so you can validate that. Claim. I've got more time in a Supra than possibly anybody in the store, so I got that <laughs> going for me. I'd like to say thank you to our other sponsor, the Casey Law Office. They're available on the web at clopeoria.com. Casey Law Office is dedicated to an honest legal practice and will fight to get you the result you deserve. No matter what your legal need, you can contact Gabe Casey at the Casey Law Office. Call, click, or stop by, and uh, you can discuss your claim free of charge. Casey Law Office, a modern legal practice dedicated to solving your legal issue. And uh, also another quick shout-out to the Patreon subscribers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got a couple Patreon subscribers. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, before this episode was released, you got a little background on Steve, and we talked about some extra commentary that maybe you won't hear on the, this normal show. <laughs> we may talk about it a little bit, but uh, you definitely get in the full scoop if you're a Patreon subscriber. So uh, thanks for the support. Uh, we do appreciate it. It does help the show and uh, helps us keep things going. Hey, if you don't know my co-host, Daryl Scott, he looks good in a hat. He drives cool mm-hmm. cars. You might even call him a hipster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it might just be that Daryl Scott was hip before the bearded youngster showed up. Follow his lead for more tips on how to be cool. That's Daryl Scott. Interesting use of the word cool. Uh, all right. <laughs> if you don't know my co-host, Eric Stahl, some people are born to run. Run errands, run a shop, run a troop of Boy Scouts to the ends of the earth. My co-host also runs this podcast like a well-oiled machine, making sure that all the nuts and bolts are torqued to spec before sending it out the door. And that's some quality service right there. Ladies and gentlemen, the running man, Eric Stahl. Man, man. 
You just said that so you wouldn't have to produce any more shows. I did. I did. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's that. actually been – Eric's been on a roll here lately, so it sounds good. If you think it sounds good, info at throwingwrenches.com. Yeah, there you go. Thanks a lot. Uh, and if you don't know Steve Brown, some guys have a dream. Other guys go out and buy a 220-gallon gas tank built from scratch, plan a Coast Coast adventure, and then run the whole length of the country in one sitting solo. Some guys live the dream. That's Steve Brown. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, and also, thank you folks for listening. Uh, make sure you share this on Facebook and other social media sites. Get some traction lately. Get some emails. Yeah. Love hearing from everybody. So uh, um, We love feedback is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Good, bad, indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us to jump in a lake or the show was decent. We haven't had enough yeah. bad feedback. Uh, no, not really. Not that I'm looking for Christmas it. shows. Yeah. Just the Christmas shows. Just the Christmas shows. But that's in a whole other <laughs> bag of tricks. Anyway, uh, there's a thousand people out there in the central Illinois area that probably have a cool story like Steve's. And if you know them and you think uh, they'd be good on the show, let us know because we'd love to get them on here and talk about it. Hit us up, info at com, or you can also uh, shoot us a message on Facebook. We're, uh, we're there, too. This should come as no surprise that we're doing the show with Steve because I talked a lot about meeting you at Cars and Coffee one or two episodes ago, probably the last two so episodes. July? Yeah, it was early July. Right? Yeah. You guys were there the 4th. Yeah, so um, like, like I said on the Patreon show, because if you tune in the Patreon show, you'd hear all this and more. I just I caught wind of the story. I, I kind of snuck over. Matt Carter was talking to you. Did you know Matt? or you just... I, I did not. Met oh. him that day. Okay. They're in this conversation. I see this brown truck sitting there. It's just mm-hmm. a Chevy. And I'm not a Chevy guy. I'm like, eh, it's a big Chevy truck. But he's got a cannonball sign in front of it. And I walk around, and Matt's talking to him. And I see this big, giant aluminum tank in the back. I'm like, that's not stock. No. You know? <laughs> no. Not at all. Yeah. And he's got a cannonball sign. On, and it, then on the side, you already had a decal emblazoned on the glass saying Transcontinental Record Holder, mm-hmm. March 22nd. Is that what it was? Uh, 21st. March, March 21st. 21st. Sorry. I, yeah. No, no. That was, that was from memory. That was pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Um, I'm like, no, nah, wait a second. What's going on here? So then I just literally snuck next to Matt and just started listening. I'm like, hey, this guy just ran some kind of a solo run across the country, <laughs> and he's from Peoria, you know, a Peoria area, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so that's how we got you on the show, and I, I, I do totally appreciate the fact that you came on. What we're going to do... We're going to talk a lot about Cannonball. We're going to talk a lot about what you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about VinWiki because I think really it's a VinWiki event is what you did. Yeah, it's right. I would say, you know, Ed Bolian, who who runs VinWiki, is really considered kind of the godfather. Absolutely. Of it, as a, a former record holder. And so, you know, he's kind of the who everybody turns to. You know, his commentary yeah. has a lot of sway. But really, the, you know, the event is relatively unsanctioned. Um, there, there's not a formal body that governs it or, or overlooks it. Well, that's and so that gets into. It's hard to Google anything on Cannonball yeah. and get anything. Wikipedia right. has some stuff, and I, and I and I pulled up this page. I mean, we will go back. Well, actually, it goes back to 1915. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> some Wikipedia of these records. I mean, I mean. We're not going back there, but if Guy we got Stutz Bearcat, like I had to look that up. Like that's an <laughs> ancient, that? yeah. an ancient car that nobody wants to ride for more than two miles. But right? would, would it be the the first one was nineteen seventy one? Would that no? That wouldn't. That was Brock Yates, what? Dan Gurney, and Brock Yates. That yeah, wasn't the first. So that, that would be so. In my understanding, and, and as I've uh, researched it, so the very first coast to coast record um, was by a gentleman named Erwin uh, Cannonball Baker. And so that's when you that's get That's 1915. Back. Yeah, that's the right. Stats, yeah. And so when Brock Yates started the Cannonball um, in the 70s, uh, the, the full name was the Erwin um, Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Dash. 
And okay. so he's the namesake of a cross country. So his nickname event. was Cannonball? Yeah, Cannonball Baker. Well, that, that already solves one. If yeah. you listen to the show for the first 10 minutes, you've already learned something, right? Yeah. You go through this and you start looking. It was really popular. When I was a kid, I saw the movie. Everybody mm-hmm. saw the movie, I think. And all three of us around the table would say, oh, yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah, we definitely. loved we loved all the great characters, yeah. loved the cars. And it seemed like there was a time there where car movies were kind of the hip happening thing. But yeah. But then nothing really happens on here. And again, you can't Google it. You can't read stories about people doing this. Is it because it's illegal or it's it's very niche. Um yeah. outside of the movie, which a lot of people for a pop culture reference um absolutely know and love. Um, a lot of people seem to not realize that it was an actual event. The movie is based off of an actual event run in the 70s led by Brock Yates. And so, you know, the, the genesis of it was, you know, Brock Yates um, really took issue with the, the national 55 mile an hour speed limit okay. at the time. And Brock was a, a big believer that um, similar to the Autobahn in Germany, that capable drivers and capable cars could drive at high speed across the interstate system. And so the the Cannonball events ran uh, in the 70s, and I believe it was about three years that they ran. Um, and then it kind of took off with the movie, and, and, and there was a, a little bit of a shine away from the uh, the risk of um, organizing a cross, uh, coast-to-coast cross-country race. The original events were a race. Yeah. Um, so it was time-driven, but it was packs of cars uh, that did it. So once that kind of fell off, and, and again, I believe it only ran for three, maybe four years. The, I see, I see, like five. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page because everything is yeah. on Wikipedia, and some of the it was third, fourth, and fifth. They got uh, you know Yogi Bear, Jack May, and then uh, Dave Hines. Yeah, Dan Gurney was 71, but he was 72, 75, 79. So they they kind of spent a year or two between some of these, yeah. and still spit them out. But and, it, and then those events kind of evolved into. Um, so you got into some some additional events after that. Um, so like the you get into whether it's a C to C Express or or some things that happened in the eighties that kind of reinvigorated, mm-hmm. but kind of fell off fairly quickly. That was probably the end of the organized events until you get into what was called the twenty nine oh four, which is like a lemons racing yep. yeah, for Cannonball, and that okay. event ran for for about ten years. And uh, the distance for that route was uh, 2,904 miles. So that's how much you could spend yeah. on your car. So it was very much lemons, um, you know, oriented. And again, went on for about a decade. And then after that, what you see today are kind of these tribute efforts, people trying to break those times. Yeah. And so they're more individual events today. I think that from my experience doing SCCA and stuff like that anymore, if you sanction anything, you have liability. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, SCCA is very strict. You know, mm-hmm. we have an insurance policy. If anybody dies out there, That's right. it's covered. So you can't really sanction an event like mm-hmm. this knowing that people are going to be driving to yeah. beat a 30-hour record That's across right. the country, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't want to be that person when no. something goes sideways. <laughs> no. Who's running this thing? Uh, yeah. You don't want to be that person. No. You get the phone call. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Ed Bolian. Mm-hmm. He he's basically Vinwiki. Is it Vinwiki dot com? Is that the website? I don't even know. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He, and he, then the YouTube channel uh, with the Vinwiki car stories is an incredibly popular. And I think that's that. where you see a lot of the information now. I mean, they mm-hmm. put everything in video, which is awesome. But like I so said, there's yeah. not a lot typed, so you can read. Uh, but Ed is basically taking the mantle from this. I mean, yeah, I think so. Um, and, and and I think he may tell you kind of unintentionally um, what had happened was. You know, after in the 80s, things kind of went quiet 
in that community. And then you started to see people like Alex Roy come out, um, and I guess this would be around early 2000s, and start to make a record run. And it, so it kind of got invigorated. You saw Richard Rawlings right. kind of was a popular you know, piece. Um, and then you went through a period where Ed Bolian, who had been a lifelong fan of Cannonball and had prepped, you know, his story is really compelling about this was a lifelong dream. He'd even interviewed Brock Yates at one time as <laughs> a, a young person. He made his run, and, and he really kind of set the modern era. Uh, for this, he had a well prepared car. Um, he really, you know, took the record to a new level. And so, at, by default, when people were curious about Cannonball or wanted to hear the story, they were going to Ed. And then, when he started Vinwicky um, and started the Vinwicky Car Stories on the YouTube channel, he just really became kind of the go to source for anybody to tell a story about Cannonball. And then, of course, he got associ uh, associated with the 2904 folks and invited them on to tell their stories. And he's really kind of built up that community of people that have an interest in this. It's fascinating stuff. And it, it seems to be, like you said, it kind of comes in waves. But I think now, at least 2020, seems like it's it's there's a wave. Do you feel that? I mean, how many people traditionally try to attempt this on, in a, in an annual basis? And do you think 2020 is... For multitude of reasons, which we'll get into, sure. Um, do, you, do you think it's it's on a popularity upswing right now? I, I think 2020 is a little bit of a, an anomaly. So last uh, November, I believe, um, uh, Arnie Toman and Doug Tabbitt beat Ed's record. Yeah. Um, and Ed's record had stood for a number of years. So that really started to invigorate people and think, because whenever these records get set, they're, they're kind of viewed as unbeatable. Like people look at it and go, gosh, nobody can ever run that fast. Well, then, of course, um, Doug and, and Arnie beat Ed's record. And so they kind of took the mantle for a while. And I think it created some excitement. But then really what you got into was um, with the, the COVID period and, and the mm -hmm. lockdowns. There, there was a significant drop in traffic on the interstates. And I think people kind of saw their window to say, look, this would be an opportune time to, to make a cross-country drive but like that. But those are hastily set up. I mean, anybody who's going to jump on that and say, oh, COVID, I mean, yeah. they're, they're giving themselves weeks or maybe a couple months to plan and do it. You're, you're right. I think what – and there was kind of a couple of hastily put-together runs, it seems like. Of course, I get information like everybody else does off yeah. of the VinWiki channel. No, man, you're an insider. Talk. I get a little it's bit, insider, but not no. that much. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, when you now see the, the current holder, um, Fred Ashmore, Ashmore had been – he had done these events a number of times. He was incredibly competent and experienced in transcontinental racing. Um, so you're right. I think there's two groups. You had some people that hastily put it together and maybe mm -hmm. luck kind of got on their side. Sure, or, sure. or they just – the learning curve is relatively short uh, when you, you start to see all the information that's out there. But I think, again, people kind of saw that opportunity as a once-in-a-lifetime chance to, to get those conditions on the road. I feel like I'm remiss here. We didn't say what you've accomplished at this point. Yeah, I was going to go back <laughs> yeah, we here. Need to, we need, yeah. yeah, we need to dial back. So we, we talked a little bit about Cannonball. We talked about the organization. But the reason you're here mm -hmm. is because you had that transcontinental record from Jacksonville to San Diego. Yes. And you did that solo. Yes. In how many hours? Uh, 27 hours and 13 minutes. And you're currently the holder of that record. I, I'm currently the, the world record holder for Transcontinental Solo. Yeah, and that's basically with Vinwiki. Well, so even you would say it's it's within the, the community. Okay. Um, so I have a verifiable record, um, but, you know, 
what I would say is if Ed Bolian acknowledges this, you're golden. Um, if other <laughs> record holders within that community verify your time, you're set. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you kind of talk about a little bit is what is the prize or what is the recognition for it? There's none. You know, this is a, you know, Guinness won't touch this record because of legality. Uh, Um, There's not a sanctioning body. You stake your claim on the record. And then when challenged, you validate it with your data. So basically you've got to produce GPS logs or, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you back that up? So I I got really fortunate. Um, The, the, the base answer is uh, GPS logs. Okay. Um, So the, the truck has redundant GPS systems on it. You might be jumping all ahead. That report, but that's kind of the base um, for it. But, you know, then you, you have people through different apps that will watch your run while you're going and they will vouch for and validate. So you you prep these people and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. Will you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess, I mean, Let's go back to the very beginning. Sure. What is the vehicle? So the the, the truck is a 2014 GMC Sierra, mm-hmm. two wheel drive crew cab long bed. My grandpa had one in the same color. He called it cinnamon glow. <laughs> <That's such> <laughs> it's, nice. it's, old, it's old man color, right? It is old man brown. That yeah. is the color of the truck. Yeah. And uh, I mean, did you wake up one morning and say, "I want to do this"? Or I mean, how, how does that start? It is, it is probably the, the best example of bar talk with your buddies that goes out of control really fast. <laughs> um, this is out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It just took on a life of its own. And so it kind of starts as big talk, you know, and then it turned into something. So like a lot of people, I, I was, I'm an avid watcher of the VinWiki uh, okay. videos. And, of course, there's a lot of Cannonball stuff. But then there was a really interesting video um, from David Simpson. And David talked about his transcontinental record run. And um, that was really the introduction to what even transcontinental was compared to the cannonball route. So those descriptors, the cannonball route is New York to Los Angeles. Yeah. Traditionally, uh, Red Ball Garage in Manhattan to the Portofino Inn uh, in Los Angeles. And David talked about this transcontinental run from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, to uh, San Diego and he, he kind of gave out the story like I did you know this is the shortest route and this is a, a rally route that you can set that people will set times on and so I just thought it was interesting and, and the time uh, that he ran um, he had run 27 hours I believe 49 minutes and so you know average speed on that was uh, like 87 miles an hour moving average and like a lot of people that fall into this trap, your immediate thought is, well, I can drive 87 miles an hour. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I started to kind of talk about it. Now you're just screwing around doing cocktail napkin math. Like, well, you know, what do you have to drive? And is my truck capable of doing that? Because in a lot of forums or, or discussions, everybody always says somebody should just do it in a truck with a giant gas tank. And, well, I, I owned a truck. Uh, And and it's not that I was the only person that's ever done that. Other people have run those events um, with trucks with large gas tanks. But as you started to kind of pencil it out, you know, it was, well, if you can figure out how to put, you know, 180 gallons of gas in the back, you could probably do it. And so I started researching that and, and I just kind of started putting out feelers to friends. I was like, do you, does the math work on this? And they said, well, yes. In the meantime, you're married. I am married. Yes. Yeah. Do you have kids? Yeah. Two children, three granddaughters. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Empty nester. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. We got that going for you. That, yeah, yeah. That's hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That, that gives you a lot of space to do really foolish things. <laughs> yeah, like this. Space yeah, exactly. and free time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah she doesn't need you to parent the kids anymore. So yeah. if you kill yourself, yeah. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Harsh, but well, maybe yeah, there's yeah. a kernel of truth. Yeah. 
But but Jay, you kind of start to work it out, and and the story goes that nobody told me no, and I finally got to the point where a, a, a friend of mine is a GM master technician, has his own shop in Bartonville, Steve Peterson, and I, I showed up at his place one day, and I said, Steve, I've got a question: Can this truck drive triple digits? at full payload capacity for 27 hours. He was the last hurdle that I had to go through. And he just casually said, yeah, that's what GM designed it to do. Yeah. And now I was running out of excuses on, yeah. on why not to try. That was the green light. That the was final, the green light. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and uh, for the folks at home, the truck, when you say the truck, it's a 2014 GMC Sierra? Yes. With some special options on it, right? Not so. GM badged it to look special, and it's got some interesting features. So the the pack, the suspension package is what's called a Z60 high performance package. Um, A lot of people think that means it has a bigger engine. It doesn't. It's got the standard 5.3, but it's really the opposite of a Z71 package, which people know is a predisposition for off road. Um, Z71s are raised from the factory Mm -hmm. two inches. A Z60 is lowered two inches from the factory and it has a very stiff suspension on it, which means it has almost no body roll. Um, so it's an on highway truck. Um, so it kind of, I, would owned a truck that was kind of predispositioned to long highway drives. Two wheel drive is two wheel drive. Has that always been your type of rig? It has. I've driven GMC trucks for, for a long time. Um, and, and I take a lot of long trips. Uh, my family is in Louisiana, so at least three times a year, we take a 16-hour drive and knock it out in a day. And yeah. So the concept wasn't foreign to, to go on a long road trip with this thing. So if you could, talk a little bit about some of the mods, because when you're talking about loading the thing down with fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you, that's the one that drew me to your truck. I mean, the biggest yeah. one is the tank, right? Yeah. The whole back of the bed basically is now retrofitted with uh, <laughs> it's, is it a stainless a, yeah. or aluminum? What it's it? it's aluminum. Okay. Um, so you know when you start to do the math, um, at first I was looking at poly marine tanks uh, like for a boat, and sure. you could get up to about 160 gallons. Um, and, but I wanted to have I, I was still learning what the um, what the the uh, miles per gallon was under full load. And so I wanted to have a bigger cushion. So 200 became the magic number, and I couldn't find any poly tanks uh, that size. So what I also knew, because I had tested the truck with a 250-gallon IBC tote, that liquid surge was a big problem. You know, the truck could could carry the weight, but when I drove it to Moline and back, the truck just rocked back and forth. And so I, I felt like I had to go for safety, number one, but then for function, I had to go to something custom. So I went to Bessler Welding. Oh, yeah. And uh, went and walked into their shop one day, and I said, look, could you build gas tanks? And they said, yes. And I said, I need 200 gallons that will T-shape <laughs> into the back of the pickup truck. <laughs> and it was almost kind of like a Breaking Bad moment, yeah. you know, where these people just don't ask questions. Yeah. And the guy yeah. got a tape measure and said, okay, show me what you got. Yeah. And they just started I'm gonna sketching make meth, it man. out. Yeah. And so, um, so it's fully baffled. Um, okay. So it's got four compartments inside where the fuel can move, and we spec'd out. And, and finally, you know, I came clean with what I was doing, and they were very supportive. <laughs> but it's a custom-built um, fuel cell to fit in the back of the truck under a tonneau cover um, and have all the right fittings to plummet to transfer pumps and so everything. how does that work? Do you feed the stock pump with the yeah. – I'm sorry, the stock tank that's got yes. the submersed pump in it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's a closed uh, fuel system. 
Um, so what happens is if you can imagine the, the rubber filler neck that goes, you know, down to the tank, that's been cut. And then there's a piece of metal in between with two push on fittings. Um, and then it runs up to the tank where there's a lift tube and then there's a fuel line run through a transfer pump that just pushes it into the factory fill neck. And then that fill neck also has a vent that comes back to the tank. So the tank is sealed to, to minimize any EVAP codes or anything like that with the truck. So when the truck gets low, the stock tank, do you just kick on a transfer pump and yeah. pump her back up? So, so in the, the, the cabin um, with, uh, with the gauge cluster and the radios, there's a, a rocker switch. And so you can run the truck down to about a quarter of a tank, and then I would fill it back up to half a tank. Take it down to a quarter. Because your biggest fear is you don't want to overfill the tank and, and get fuel into the truck's EVAP system. Yeah, that's what I wondered about, too. So if you shut it off and it was too full and it kept some more kept coming through there or something like that. Yeah, it, it, which was interesting because that's why the tank um, has a lift tube built into it. So it's a holly pump that has to lift fuel up and then push it because originally we were going to pump it gravity fed but there was so much weight from the gas it overran oh yeah the first just, pump yeah. like you, you can't gravity feed at that point 200 <laughs> gallons just weigh so much yeah i was gonna say i mean from my uh, friends who used to drag race I, was it fuel six is it six yeah, pounds like a gallon just over six pounds a gallon okay so yeah. times 200 that's yeah that's a yeah. fair amount of payload it, it is but it's within factory weight okay um or payload of the truck um, what we did in response to that, though, is I installed a uh, Firestone ride right system. So this replaces the jounce bumpers with airbags. Yeah, I have those in my truck. So, yeah, so it's like for if you're going to tow campers or trailers. Do you have a compressor? or do you just... I do. Okay. So there's a compressor mounted under the bench seat yep. in the back, and then I've got an air pressure gauge and a rocker switch, and I can move. I can p- bring the truck up or down nice. as fuel's coming out. And and honestly, the, the two big reasons for that was I didn't want the headlights pointed up. Uh, when it was dark mm-hmm. um though it didn't do it a lot it was enough and then honestly if you've ever watched the movie the mule um with clint eastwood yeah like that truck is a perfect drug mule truck driving <laughs> right. across, down the border of mexico i didn't want it to look laden yeah. you know with weight and have a tonneau cover over the back so yeah. it was more so to keep it at factory ride height so nobody was suspicious <laughs> so, so we've had a mule reference a breaking bad reference <laughs> there is a certain element of kind of mischievous bad, bad boy right? yeah. yeah yeah the term the term in the community is called scofflaw i'm an autom i'm officially an automotive scofflaw See? now so that's so, a friendly word though yeah. it doesn't make it yeah. it doesn't make it sound like <laughs> like a like a, ne- a ne'er-do-well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you're planning all this, um, did you think I'm going to do this myself, or did you try and get with some buddies and say, hey, we talked about this, you want to join me? I mean, how did, how did you decide to do this by yourself? So so the big barrier is you, you really see two tiers in, in cross-country racing, um, team events and then solo. And and the issue is for, for someone like me, if you're, if a truck is your best option – the, the team speeds are incredibly fast. Sure. Um, so the, the record for the uh, transcontinental route is actually held by Arnie Toman, Doug Tabbitt, and David Simpson. And they did it in 24 hours. Is this the Mercedes? No, this is actually – I've never heard which car they've used okay. um, because Doug and Arnie used the Mercedes for the Cannonball route gotcha. uh, last year when they set it. But if you think about that, you know, uh, the the speeds are just too great. Sure. You know, for the truck, like an average person sees that as insurmountable. But the solo records, until Fred Ashmore set his most recent time, there was this kind of stratification. And solo records, because you have to do all the work yourself, 
There's not someone with binoculars looking down the road. There's not someone working radios for you. Solos historically had a much slower time, and it put it into the realm of reality for one person to do it. So you had a pretty good idea. You were going to do this solo from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you show up down in uh, Jacksonville by yourself? Nobody there? I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so it's a little bit of a you know, and then you get to California by yourself as well. Yeah, and uh, my wife was going to meet me out there, and then we'd take a little driving holiday back to Peoria. <laughs> but then you know, COVID was getting worse. Sure, at that point, and so um, we decided not to do that. So it's you're you're on your own. Wow. So. <laughs> You get down to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You got your truck all set up. By the way, any other mods to the truck besides? Yeah, so, I mean, just general stuff that, that enthusiasts would see as standard, but um, HID headlight upgrade because a significant amount of that trip is overnight. Yeah. You, you depart overnight. Um, so we had to upgrade the, the headlights. Um, you get into power stop uh, brakes, uh, rotors, and uh, pads. So in case I had to stop the truck underweight, You've got to take care of that. Sure. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the the, the rod right system. Um, you know, and then it's just the the radio. So you yeah. run a Uniden R three radar detector, um, which you, there's a number of good options. That's the one I chose. You've and got your radio cluster that's giving you some communications, uh, backup, iPads, um, phones, Garmin, GPS. That's all your tracking systems yeah. to help you understand where you are in the trip and, and how your speed's doing. <laughs> Did we talk? Do we talk about how heavy that tank was? I'm not sure. I know it's surprisingly light. Bessler did a fantastic job um, with that. Uh, the two of us could pick it up and pull it out. Really, uh, it weighs about 150 pounds. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 very well reinforced, pressure tested, but surprisingly light because of the aluminum. Because they were very good. I told them this is the payload capacity of the truck. Yeah. This is it's got to be 200 gallons. I got to come in under payload. They're like we'll take care of it. Yeah, and it just sneaks under the bed rail. So if you, it does. I'm a bigger guy, taller <laughs> yeah, guy, so yeah. I can see into it. But if you're just coming up at night mm-hmm. or something, you probably wouldn't notice it. Give it a second thought. No, and then what you have is that roll back to no cover comes over. <laughs> cover so it's thing. completely covered. The cop you walks can't up. Can you show me what's in the bed? I can show you, but there's nothing back there. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Would prefer not to. <laughs> can you explain this to me? Yeah. So do you like dip your toe in the Atlantic? I mean, did you walk out and, like, touch the Atlantic? I I didn't. It was kind of hectic to get going. But technically, like, that route is considered sand to sand. Okay. So there's a spot in Jacksonville. It's kind of weird because it's it's almost like an alleyway between two condominiums um, that backs up to a sand dune. And it's a preferred starting point because there's only one traffic light. You come out and you hit A1A. And then you pick up the on-ramp Boom, to the right loop the around estate. Jacksonville and you take off. Done. And then the the ending point is a public park in San Diego that that parking lot spills out directly on the beach. So conceptually, you go sand to sand on that run. And what's, so, so you bring the truck. You got everything all set up. You're loaded up. You're in Jacksonville. Yeah. What time of day, night? What? How do you pl- yeah. how do you plan? Yeah. Uh, when you start and when you leave yeah. to beat rush hour or the, you know, sure. whatever. There's a, there's a lot of thought and planning that goes into this based off of what you think your average speed is going to be. Um, so for me, my target departure time was um, 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. I ended up leaving around 8.45. Um, so you leave Jacksonville because now most of your populated area, you're going through the whole Gulf Coast, is overnight going into Sunday morning. Okay. Um, so it's, it's an overnight drive, and yeah. most people have done that, and traffic's incredibly light. 
But the reason for that time is to target Houston. I needed to get through Houston before 7 a.m. Wow. Because okay. Houston is very similar to Chicago. And, and fortunately for me, one of the reasons I picked the route was I'd lived in Houston before. Okay. And so I was familiar with a big chunk of that route. And Houston's a lot like Chicago for us, where you could have a traffic jam on a Sunday morning for yeah, no reason. Any day, yeah. So you, I, and what day of the week was it? So it was. I left on Saturday night, okay. arrived on Sunday night, West Coast time. Okay. okay. So that would have put you in, in right in the middle in Houston. Yeah, right, right, that, right that's right. It, right as the sun was coming up. So wow. you got to click. Houston's your biggest traffic hurdle. And so I um, studied traffic patterns on Google Maps. I'd seen you know what that morning looked wow. like. You can study Google um, Maps, uh, and they'll tell you construction zones and when they're projected to end. So part of the um, pickup date uh, was that there was a major construction project that was ending in Arizona in February. So, like, I knew a couple of months out what the expected construction zones should look like. But then you're really trying, again, to get through Houston by sunup. And then now when I got to other populated areas like Tucson – it's now late Sunday afternoon traffic. And then San Diego, which is fairly populated, it was 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday. So that's the timing is very specifically as good planned as it gets, out. right? Now, this leads back to you plan, You were planning this a year you know, a year ago. About about six months before I left. Okay, so yeah. COVID hits, and mm-hmm. now, now the yeah. records are falling, like Daryl and I talked about earlier. And it's like, oh, everybody can cannibal. Anybody can get a record right now because yeah, yeah. the roads are clear. Yeah. But – you had planned to do this before COVID. It was even nobody even knew what COVID was when you were planning yeah, this. I, I had picked the date. March twenty first was picked back in December, um, and and I knew I wanted to have a spring run. Can, uh, cannonball type events are normally run in spring or fall because historically that's when there's lower traffic on the road. And I picked that date specifically because number one uh, in Louisiana the Atchafalaya Basin which is the big swamp area. Oh, next yeah, the, the Chafalai Basin. You're familiar with that, right, yeah. Daryl? I, so, I ate gumbo there once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, But if you've ever lived in that area, you know that over the winter, um, there's fog is really bad. It'll shut down I-10. So I knew March 21st would be late enough that I would not likely get fog on the Chafalaya. The other part of that is when you're running solo, there's no gas stops that are planned. And so you can't clean the windshield. And if you've ever heard of love bugs in the Gulf Coast, these are horrific things that just destroy cars as they're going. They're covered in this stuff. So, But it was before love bug season. And I'd researched when spring break occurred for the school system along that route. So when would you get vacation traffic? And that's where March 21st came from. And what what if Reggie and your department said, I already got that week blocked off? What would you do? We would have had to have a talk and get some some cash involved to, <laughs> a little bit to of, sort that out. A little Reggie, bit of encouragement, Reggie. Yeah. We got a we got a problem yeah. here. Yeah, but it, it was interesting because you're right. The the COVID thing was happening, and of course you you didn't know then what you know now. Yeah, and it, it was kind of you didn't know how this would play out, and so the only te- technical or technical issue I ran into for closings was California put their order in place on March 19th. So I was driving to Florida. As, as this thing was starting mm-hmm. to come about. Um, so it was just really happening. I, I think um, some people have asked me, you know, well, do you think that there was an impact? The honest answer I've got is I don't know. I've yeah. never driven that route before. Yeah, because do you wonder if, if COVID wasn't going on, if you couldn't have broken the record? I, I don't think that I, I, 
I couldn't have broken the record. I think there were some anomalies that happened. You know, like what I don't know is was law enforcement presence lighter. Yeah. I ran into law enforcement uh, across the trip. I don't know what it historically looked like in West Texas. What I did observe that I think could have been some uplift is I didn't notice a lot of RV traffic or loaded down minivans, mm-hmm. even though I'd planned to be light on uh, spring break, it still happens on the interstates. Sure. Um, I didn't see a lot of that. I think if if um, I would have gone a week or two later, I would have definitely been in the COVID period. Um, but you know, to describe you know what the impact was, I, I would have to say there was probably some. I don't know what to degree it was. And so when when you took off in Jacksonville. Did you know exactly – I did the time speed rally here a couple of weeks ago. I knew mm-hmm. I need to carry this average speed yes. and this length of road. Did you have it all mapped out knowing, yes. hey, when I leave Jacksonville, I need to be out at this this second? Yeah. Yeah. It's So it's interesting. I, I had a spreadsheet that um, logged a town every 100 miles for the route, and then it had a time of when I was supposed to be there. And because what you want is you, you need to, to be so focused on driving – you don't need to to be looking at a lot of stuff. So this yeah. was a quick glance. This town's here. I'm either ahead or I'm behind schedule. Um, and I knew what the average speed was that I needed to maintain. So you're constantly chasing the rabbit okay. on, the, on the Garmin GPS. That's why Garmin's are used so often because of their dashboard feature. It'll show your moving average. Yeah. Um, and so that's really helpful. Oh, so you keep it for the trip. You can. And Got so it. it's a little bit of your evidence mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it's also giving you feedback on what your average is. And most people will tell you, you, you make your time in the eastern half of the U.S. Um, that's where you set your speed. So right out um, the gate. Right out of the gate. So and, and okay. most people, or a lot of people had told me the panhandle in Florida was where you make your speed. So you, you hit it right out of the gate. It's, it's a speed But run. it seems like you're in so many metro areas. I mean, that seems like the hardest part to speed. Because once you get past Houston, it seems like, oh, it's all wide open, you know. You can just go as fast as you want. Yeah. There's nobody out there, right? Yeah, the problem is the math over that many miles. So, you know, if you started to pick up your speed in Houston, you're almost, you know, 900 miles behind you at a slower speed. You, It was interesting for me because when I would watch the speed, I knew um, that by the time I got to Houston, I was in the window. And what you really start chasing was for most of the drive, the cruise was set at 90. So that was base speed for the truck. And I knew every second mattered. So you're constantly going through your head about, you know, can I go faster? Can I go faster? Has traffic cleared? Are there, is there a hill or a blind turn, you know, where police might be? What's yeah. going on with the truck? And then if, if you're clear, you need to hammer the truck. You need to beat on it. Because 90, because about this time I was running about 89, 90 miles an hour, um, average speed. So now what your speedometer is telling you is 90 miles, miles an hour protects that number, 100 builds on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So either you're protecting the number or you're building on it. And so that was the constant mental game that you were playing. 90 is okay. The number's not going to go down. I needed to beat 87. So And I didn't know what California looked like. So I knew I needed to carry speed, average speed, into the West Coast. Sure, sure. So you're just constantly running this 90 protects, 100 plus You're banking time. You're banking time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So who's who's watching? I mean, Mm -hmm. you start off, and I I saw your truck. You got modules all over the place. You got your iPads in there, and there's these little black GPS modules. Yeah. you didn't just say, hey, can somebody watch this for me? You literally scheduled – there's people, witnesses, right? Yes. So, I, And I got really fortunate. So part of the 
you know, bar talk that goes out of control was um, <laughs> when I, I after this, this feels like bar talk yeah, going out of control. Yeah, right? I love it, it is. <laughs> um, when Steve Peterson, the the technician, um, told me that look, the truck can do it. I actually took a gamble and I reached out to David Simpson on Facebook. I just sent him a random message and said, Hey David, um, I'd like to take a serious run at your record. Would you have time for a phone call? And David was incredibly generous with his time. And remember, I'm the guy that's saying, Hey, I'd like to beat your record. record, Can I talk to you about this? And he was incredibly generous and he gave me a phone call uh, or an, uh, about an hour of his time. And, and I tried to come through with some really thoughtful questions and, and you know, understand some um, some questions that I needed answered. But what it jumped to was when you validate, David was my biggest champion. And so David said, you want a current record holder to validate your time. And then he was kind enough to, to introduce through text and Facebook to Arnie Toman, Doug Tabbitt, and then Chalet Davis, who's the, the women's record holder for that route, and her husband, Tim, they do a lot of rally events. So now all of a sudden I've kind of got this all-star cannonball cast that <laughs> said, we're, we're going to validate your time. And they were all incredibly generous with their time. So what you do to validate, at least for me, um, which worked out really well, is you're running redundant systems. The, the first one that you use is Glimpse. So Glimpse is an app that you can get on your phone that's kind of like Find My Friends for for Apple. It'll show a map overlay with a dot with speed and location. And so now you put people in your network. They can watch you on that app. You can, right? It's actually (laughs) pretty good. Turn it off, yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of your base system. That's giving people visibility to what you're doing. And then for me, I also ran Olympus GPS, um, which is one of the GPS modules that kept a um, record um, with map features and with uh, spreadsheets that pinged every 60 seconds and showed uh, longitude, latitude, and your speed. Um, and then I had another system that ran off of the iPad, which was a rally app um, that also kept a GPS log as well. And where these folks were generous with their time, they they started to hand off overnight and through the day. And so you're you're kind of in this group text with them, and it's like, I'm leaving in two minutes. And they're watching, and so they validate your departure time. Um, they're watching on Glimpse. Glimpse will only run for 12 hours before you have to reset it. So David uh, backed up with Olympus GPS and watched my feed on it. But then they're just kind of handing you off. And I remember Chalet was so kind because you're all alone. You're driving yeah. overnight. You're yeah. scared to death you know, <laughs> that you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> And I remember for the first legs, um, I would get a text message, and my phone was mounted to the dash so I could just see it. And I'd hear a ding, and it would be Chalet saying, welcome to Alabama. Keep pushing. All right, cool. And then, you know, another ding and so on. And then they, especially as you get to the end, they were all watching. And, you know, because I had that many people watching the feed and they knew that I had the backup records, they immediately validated my time in the parking lot at the at the beach. So it was wow. really cool. Like instant. Instant. Yeah, they all signed <laughs> off on it and said congratulations. <laughs> you're, you're talking a little bit about um, some of the prep you did for the truck to make sure that's mm-hmm. roadworthy. We'll talk about some other preparations for human needs a little bit later. But one question I did have. Is there a contingency plan if you got popped? Yeah, have a good attorney. So, yeah, it's yeah. Because that, that a, discussion has to come up at yeah, some yeah. point. Like, hey, I'm going to do everything I can. I can do something super crazy, yeah, yeah. but 
Yeah, could but you're not. But in the truck, I mean, you're talking yeah. about 100 miles an hour to get you bumped, are. right? It's it's a little bit of apples and oranges to these bigger team runs, yeah. you know. So mm-hmm. for me, it's a reckless driving ticket. Yeah. You know, I, I may have pushed 30 over at some point, but to be fair, in West Texas, the speed limit's 80. Yeah, yeah. you know. So Cruz set at 90 at that point is a 10 over yeah. ticket, and then when I did push, you know, into the triple digits. So one of the things about the truck is. The maximum speed it can physically go is 128 um, because it's a two-piece drive shaft or dual drive shafts. Um, GM says that that metal will mushroom apart at 130. Really? So, yeah. So that is the the, the weak link in that truck is the drive shafts will fail at 130. Yeah, it's just so, like a tube. It's like tubular yeah, steel. Okay. It's, it's right. really light. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. So it's so now square, what happens? It? Okay. Yeah. It is the, how much trouble you're going to get into is yeah. much less than these folks that are running 160. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, could I have gotten? Could I maybe spend a night in jail? Had to get my truck out of you know storage probably. You know, if yeah. it was that bad. But at the end of the day, it would have been a really bad reckless driving ticket. And then there's attorneys that specialize in that. You can kind of get it worked down. But to, to be fair, it's not as bad as the team runs that are okay. much faster. So are you generally lucky? I mean, if somebody pulls you over, do you have like a, a spiel? Hey, sorry, I was kind of tired or something like, you know, you know were you not, ready for this? I'm probably more on the unlucky spectrum. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, what was kind of crazy was I haven't had a speeding ticket in about a decade. Um, and I really felt knock bad. Knock on wood right yeah, there. Knock on right? wood. Yeah. And the insurance man appreciates that. So I, I was nervous about wrecking it. But Other than this story, he loves yeah, you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for me, you know, luck is a big component of this. Um, Ed Bullion says it best. Whenever you, you know, leave the starting line, you pull the handle on the slot machine and there's a bunch of things that can go wrong. Sure. Um, so luck does play into it, but I'm a firm believer that if, if you're the better prepared you are, the less reliant you are on luck. And I was just very methodical and almost ADD like on going through every single detail to to stop a failure point. I sure. think that's what helped me. What was some of the stuff you saw on the road that uh, that you remember? I know we talked a little bit before the yeah. show about how you get in the zone and it's kind of hard to remember because everything seems to be a blur. Yeah. Um, but and any highlights from the trip on those lonely stretches of, of I ten? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say you know the Florida has the best roads. I've ever driven on across smooth, the pan. Yeah, they were smooth, smooth and dark, and and the, wow, okay. the HID headlights just worked beautifully crossing the Panhandle. Um, great roads there. Worst roads were Louisiana. That that was hang on for your life at speed. You know, <laughs> crossing some of those places, just holding the left lane, yeah. get out of that right lane garbage. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. For me, it was interesting. Um, even though I'd lived in the area, I'd never driven west of San Antonio. I'd never been in okay. West Texas. And it was just gorgeous. It, it was, you but know, you caught it in the daylight. Yeah, and I caught it in the daylight. So by the time I got to San Antonio, the the sun was fully coming up, and it, it was gorgeous out there. But what I, my most vivid memory of the drive was, I believe it was in Arizona, and you cross this really small mountain range, and and the sun's starting to go down. So now where you are, it's getting dim because the sun is on the other side of the mountains. Yeah. And you kind of go through a couple of quick switchbacks, and there's almost like a crevice that the interstate drives through. And you pop over this hill, and it kind of goes into a sweeping left turn. 
and you hit the sun and the sun just hits you in the face. And because you've crossed over the mountain range where the sun is still now going down. Looks kind of like the poster. It, it does, right? It's, <laughs> it's kind of the, the, the piece of it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're chasing the sun in the second half. But I, I just remember that striking me, you know, is just being sure. so gorgeous. You know, now you're coming down the backside of that mountains and of that mountain and there's the whole valley out in front of you and mm-hmm. the sun just popping out of nowhere, you know, when it, you thought it had been behind the mountain for 20 minutes or so. One, one thing I didn't talk about, I should have asked this earlier. I mean, did you grab a bag of McDonald's before you got in the car? Yeah, what was the I mean, road food? You, well, yeah, did, oh, did you yeah. have food already packed in there? I, I did, and, and it's so it kind of gets into your human needs, yeah. you know, question. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is a very methodical process, yeah. especially if you're going to go solo. Um, so the, the short answer on the food piece is to make that work, um, what's been learned. And again, I'm very thankful because the learning curve was so short. It's like astronaut talk. Yeah. 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 I'd I'd actually researched how SR 71 pilots go through this B 52 flight crews. Depends. Yeah. You kind of get to that. (laughs) Freeze dried food. You get the freeze dried spaceman food. Yeah. Yeah. And then you never poop for a week. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but what was really helpful was David Simpson, you know, his mentorship um, of me really kind of gave me some key things to understand. And that's really, you go on a low carb Atkins style, diet for a couple of weeks before. And if anybody's ever experienced that, your number of times that you need to, to use the restroom yeah. basically gets down to a couple of times a week. Yeah. So you get that working in your favor. And then through the trip, what is packed is low-carb protein bars, basically Atkins-type food. So you're mm-hmm. maintaining that to keep your body fairly well okay. regulated. And, and honestly, your blood sugar gets managed fairly well. So don't get blood sugar spikes so that you get really tired after you eat something. Um, so you manage that. Um, the other part is, you know, um, compression clothing. I wore compression socks. Um, different clothing that I had was made or, or chosen to be sitting that long. And then the the other side of the personal needs, you know, I did a lot of research on this. And dehydration is a problem if you're trying to, to manage that aspect. But when I, I did some research on it, Baja 1000 drivers had figured this out. And it's basically... Um, a uh, external race catheter that yeah. can be used, and, and you can tune into our Patreon feed yeah. if you want to hear all about the gory all details. <laughs> and they are <laughs> actually, I was fascinated. It was like learning about space. Like how do how does how do people do? Yeah, what they do uh, need to do up in space. Very similar, but <laughs> you can order all this stuff online, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, because it's 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 from um, the Baja racing community. There's companies that absolutely sell it. You can Google it and look it up. Awesome. So if you're if you're bored during <laughs> during this last couple of weeks and you instead of scrolling in for doom and gloom just look up external race catheter. That's a fun search. So the whole point of these race I guess I don't want to jump ahead. You got there, you made it, mm-hmm. you, you broke the record. I have to imagine at that point you crash. I, I did physically um, like sleep I, crash. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had a hotel booked, and then I actually found the closest In and Out Burger, and I got something <laughs> to eat. Um, enjoyed that, and then I hit a hotel and crashed um, really hard. Um, I went back to the beach um, and took some pictures, and which was surprising because the beach was packed full of people. You know, In that California. morning. Yeah. What did you yeah. say, 8 was, o'clock at night or something? Well, so I got there at 9. Well, the next morning oh, when okay. I went back got it, got it. and uh, took some pictures. And then after that, it was the long drive back to Peoria, which was yeah. brutal. It, oh, it uh, had to be. Yeah, it had to be. It was brutal. Like all the adrenaline is worn off. You're like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm far from home. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, of course, I, I'd survived without getting a ticket. So I'm definitely not getting a speeding ticket yeah. driving back to, to Peoria. So now it's 
10 Were there any close calls person. along the way? There, there was a couple. Um, so um, in Texas, uh, I ran into a little bit of fog, um, enough that I could still run at speed, but I didn't have great visibility far out. And um, one of the things that you, you really pay attention to is giving people space. Like you don't pass people under speed. You don't run and drive like a maniac or anything like that. Well, I came up on this black SUV and I'm getting ready to hit the turn signal to come around to the left because I was in the right lane. <laughs> and I noticed this kind of frosted police, you know, lettering Whoa. on the back. And I thought, oh, man, here it comes. But I knew that he didn't hit me with anything. I knew laser didn't go off. He, he didn't have, you know, a, okay. a radar set. I knew I wasn't clocked. I knew I'd just run up on him in the fog. So now we start playing this game of he starts slowing down, I start slowing down, I'm not passing him, and yeah. um, we get down to about 40 miles an hour. And fortunately, this Mustang comes up behind me and starts to go around, and I pull around like I'm thinking at least I'm going to get a lecture, right. and which is problematic because I don't need 10 minutes on the side of the road. No. You've already and been going please, 40 miles an hour. Yeah, and please don't ask any questions about all these electronics all and the, all this yeah. stuff in here. <laughs> Um, but I, I got fortunate. He he just kind of disappeared into the fog, and I, I took back off again. Um, after that, it was really um, – the radar detector worked really well, especially on flat ground. I, I can pick up KA band about a mile out, um, so I just know that there's something in the area. So whenever I would run up with Waze, uh, if you're familiar with that yeah, app, app, that yeah. would give you yeah. some visibility. Um, I would know that something was in the area, and I could kind of back off. But that was probably about the closest call. I had that the systems worked really well That's to awesome. let you know that there was police in there. No run-ins with wildlife or anything like that. Either. I didn't. Um, no, um, I've heard stories about that on other runs, especially <laughs> no north, you know, deer, yeah. Yeah. Well, anything I, like yeah, that. Yeah, well, going through Texas, I've heard people say not just Texas, but a lot of the South. They said yeah. armadillos have expanded, and they said they running oh, yeah. over those will ruin your day yeah. too. So. Yeah, I, I got really lucky. No, no major road hazards or, or anything like that. Good. Well, and you're in a big, beefy truck, too. That kind of it, it could take it for some helps. degree. It's yeah. not like a carbon fiber thing, two, <laughs> yeah. two inches off the ground, <laughs> no. like no. a missile. Yeah. Um, so, so when I met you at Cars and Coffee, you had the sign, the Cannonball Run sign, which, again, this isn't the Cannonball Run, but, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's still the same organization, roughly. Yeah. But that's your prize, and you probably bought it yourself. Yeah. I mean, what happens? You, you get there. You get your hotel, you crash out, and it's yeah. not like there's people stand there with a trophy going, Champagne, hey, good man. job. Yeah, no. No, it's it's really kind of a, you know, it's it's just you standing in a parking lot at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, you know, by yourself. <laughs> smashing <laughs> some in and out double-double. Yeah, double. smashing the double-double. And then double check, and... checking a forum for posts, hey, look, you yeah. know, you just, I, just, yeah. I just beat the record. And, and so it's really a lot of um, high-risk, low-reward, if you thought about it, about it anything physically. I mean, for, for me, what was really cool is – you, you watch VinWiki videos. You, you hear these stories. And I almost kind of compare it to the U.S. Open in golf, you know, where, look, if you're a good enough golf player, you can make it to the U.S. Open. Show up. There's no yeah. restrictions. And I saw that community that way. Like, if, if I could solve the problem, you could be affiliated with this group. And, you know, you, you kind of get to meet your heroes uh, a little bit. I never sure. thought I would, you know, have, you know, these – really talented and courageous people, you know, that have set records before watching my own record, you know, even if it's kind of the triple a baseball of the, the cannonball community, I just to be in their shadow for a little bit was just an incredible opportunity. And now, so that, that organization is, um, 
they call themselves the fraternity of lunatics. That that's the official. <laughs> if you're a record holder, you're a member of the fraternity of lunatics. And Ed Bolian coined that phase um, some years ago. And so you can be in the fraternity, you know, and you you get to to meet these people or be affiliated with these extraordinary people that you know have driven much faster and much further than I ever have. But yeah. they, you get to be in their their orbit for a little bit. From what you were saying, though, I mean, everybody seems hospitable. Uh, respectful. I mean, there hasn't been a major, you know, you know horrendous... Knock, knock on wood again. Knock on wood again. Yeah, yeah I'm going to put stuff into the ether. But, I mean, people have been safe about this. There yeah. hasn't been anything you've read about in the news other than people are new record here, new record there. Yeah. Um, what's it like now that you're on that other side of the community? Uh, if somebody were to call you up or mm-hmm. send you an email and say, hey, I'm looking to break your record on the transcontinental route. Like, yeah. I mean, how would you handle something like that? I, I think, you know, David was David Simpson was a very good teacher about that. I would handle it the same way that David handled me. You know, the, the first piece of advice you give is people who are successful at this do the work. They are incredibly prepared. This is a problem-solving exercise. If yeah. you don't do the work, your chances of success will fall apart pretty quick. Yeah. Um, the, the second piece is the the safety part um and it's a kind of counterintuitive when you tell people but safety is actually a pretty big consideration um about this and and for practical reasons and for legacy reasons if you drive like a maniac the cops are going to get called yeah. and they're going to find you your your job is to be as inconspicuous as possible while doing this you don't want people to pay attention to you um you know but the you think about the safety piece on the legacy you know, folks in that community say it best. For almost 50 years, there's been no serious accident or incident, you know, related to this. And if there is, all of this can go away very quickly. If there right. was a major accident and people got hurt, all of our records are now, you know, kind of gone. You know, the, the legacy of the people. That's what we talk about all the time. I, I talked yeah. about this when I was in the Supra at the Time Speed Rally. The day you know it, this all goes on because people are having a good time, mm-hmm. but they're respecting the rules. They're That's respecting right. people's property. The minute we stop doing that is the minute the fun stops and the police right. come out and organizations say we can't do it anymore yeah. because somebody screwed it up, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and make no mistake, you know, if 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 I would have gotten caught, I, I have to deal with the consequences. I was yeah. breaking traffic laws, yeah. and there's a penalty for that, you know. And you you don't have very high. You know, there's not a lot of moral high ground. <laughs> To make arguments for this, but you can you can counterbalance that with don't be foolish, don't don't be you know negligently you know unsafe with your you know how you're you're operating the truck or what you're doing. Be as safe as you can. You know, don't break the law while you're breaking the law. Kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, like be, don't be, be a jerk. While yeah, you're don't. Doing it. Yeah, right. And 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 then because that becomes really the spirit of what Brock Yates wanted this to be. Capable drivers and capable cars are able to operate at high speed. Being a capable driver means you don't tailgate people. You don't pass people at speed. You don't drive like a maniac. That's being a capable driver. And if you put that at risk, all of our legacies for people that have participated are, are now tarnished or gone. Yeah. Now, that, that's that's pretty good advice. And uh, watching interviews with him over the years, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, just a cool, down-to-earth guy, I yeah. like. I have to ask, being a, um, you know, I'm, I appreciate all cars, trucks, vehicles, makes, but I got a soft spot for some GM trucks. Sure. Um, how'd the truck hold up? It ran like a train. Yeah. Um, it, it was so. It's interesting. I actually had uh, there was there was one problem, um, but but first of all, 
how the truck ran, I beat on it for 27 hours. And Steve Peterson did a fantastic job of making that truck survive. It basically had to go through a hundred thousand mile service before it could leave, you know, outside of the upgrades. And he, he gave me a perfect vehicle that could take the beating for that long. So she ran great. Um, the truck is built to go coast to coast nonstop. And that was the original intent of the run. I actually had to stop four times. Um, for about a total of 20 minutes, I had an intermittent problem with the fuel transfer pump. Oh, it would because it's it's bolted to the bed, so I can hear it clicking and I can hear it prime. I take off out of Florida, I get going, I burn through the first tank of gas, and um, I transfer fuel a couple times and it works fine. And then all of a sudden, I could just hear it click and it's not priming. Oh no! And and now remember, I've I've made runs to Memphis. Several times I've run yeah. to Louisiana. I've transferred like trial to, runs. Did trial runs. Okay. Like I had run this pump and and made sure that these systems work, and now it won't pick up prime. And so at one point I actually thought um, I fifty five at New Orleans was my cutoff point. It was the turn right and go home if this mm-hmm. is falling apart. So I started having trouble with the fuel pump, and I I, I just stayed committed. I'm going to see this through and and make the run and do the best I can. So I actually had to stop four times to throw gas in the primary tank of the truck, and then the pump would come back on at different times uh, throughout the run. So I would just every 15 minutes keep working it. it. Yeah. See, GM pumps. I'm telling you, yeah. GM well, pumps. And this was, was actually Holly. It was actually a Holly Mighty Mighty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that so. one of those blue pumps? Those older ones? Or no? Yeah, it's the red. I think it's red, like a Holly red. Just super loud. You can hear him yeah. whirring oh, yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I can hear it in the cab of the truck when it's Well, that's a GM pump, bed. too. You can hear yeah, those yeah. things howling all the time, right? Well, I've, I've had friends over the years with yeah. Mustangs with those Holly aftermarket yeah. pumps on them and had and, nothing but trouble. And, and I think it was a fluke. I mean, it's people say that they, they've worked great. I think I probably just got one built on a Friday. Maybe. Kind of thing that <laughs> failed. Maybe. You know, so. That old story. They can't yeah. stick a Coke can in a pump <laughs> on a Friday, yeah. okay? <laughs> I guess that could kind of transition us into lessons learned. I mean, if you were to do this run again next month, mm-hmm. uh, besides maybe a little re-engineer into the fuel pump or something like that, transfer pump, like any other things you would change or do differently? You know, not so much. Um, you know, I think I would I, I would have more confidence in some of the systems uh, that were put into place. Um, I, I think for me, the the reason that it went so well was that you know I, I've made the comment that when you do these things, if you do your due diligence, and for me, I've I've read every article about Ed Bolian and his run. I've watched every video. Um, Doug are you, and are you Arnie, a fanboy? Not it was more so t- really deep research. Like I, I have screenshots of every time one of a record holder's car was shown, to so I could see what was on the dash. Nice. I studied everything about it, and so I, I've made the comment that anybody that really does this today stands on the shoulders of giants. Right. The learning curve is so short for people like me now because that information is out there. Yeah, now think about that. The and, guys who did it in the 70s and the oh 80s. Oh, gosh. I mean, you were recreating the wheel every time, right? They had maps. Yeah, yeah. You know, there there was no <laughs> GPS. There was no... <laughs> right. They were navigating. Maps know. and stopwatches. And luck. Yeah, and luck. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that to answer the question is, I'm, I'm not really sure because so many people gave me the answers. 
you know, I was really fortunate with that. I, I think there's some little things I would do different about the food. I'd probably eat more um, because I really only had like two protein bars over 27 hours because <laughs> yeah. I was so panicked. And you told when me when I talked to you the first going. time, you were drinking five-hour energy drinks, right? Yeah. Yeah. David had given me that advice as well. I was surprised. He said, look, buy five-hour energy drinks. You stop drinking coffee for about two weeks before the run so the caffeine hits you harder. Yeah. And David's advice was just sip on them. Don't chug them. And I'd bought five for the trip. I only drank two. Um, And again, you know, these are little bottles. Yeah, they're tiny bottles. Yeah, yeah. 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 but it was it was really adrenaline and fear that 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 kept you going. You know, (laughs) dude, that works for fourteen or fifteen hours. I mean, what do you do with the other ten? Yeah, I think you know it was. I, for me, the the story kind of went. I, I love the quote. You know, I think it's Mike Tyson that said it. Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. Well, I got punched in the mouth at about eight o'clock because I was forty nine minutes late because I had trouble with the fuel pump, and then actually I'd overflowed the tank oh. accidentally. So this is a great story. So I'm in the hotel parking lot. I'm supposed to be at the beach <laughs> at eight. It's seven forty five. And the truck just dies. The truck had never had a moment's trouble. It just fell over and wouldn't idle. Oh, no. And I pulled the the cap, and there's gas coming out. And so I had trouble with the fuel lines. I pulled the check valve out because I was afraid of pressure building in the heat in Florida. It pushed out and overflowed. And so now I'm on FaceTiming Steve Peterson. Oh, God. And I'm actually laying under the truck looking at the EVAP canister. And Steve's like, pull this line, pull this line. And gas is puking out of the EVAP canister. In and the he's hotel like, parking in lot. The ho- in the clothes I'm getting ready to go <laughs> sit in for 27 hours. And, you know, so I'm like, Steve, the truck won't run. What the heck is going on? And, you know, so he walks me through. And I'm pulling in. I actually left the, the line that goes to the engine was left unconnected to the run. So I left it unconnected intentionally because it was starting to, I didn't want it pulling to the front of the truck. And so like a quart of gas just pukes out and he's like, all right, if you snap that back on, the truck will start. And I jump back in and I hit the key and the truck starts. So I take off and go to the beach. And so it started wow. like that, like everything. I mean, six months of planning, so your adrenaline and being was blown right there. I mean, everything had gone yeah. to you know heck in a handbasket, super fast. <laughs> yeah. And then part of that was I had missed my last fill up. I had twenty more gallons to put in the tank because I was trying to run it down to get the overfill issue sorted. So I was late. Well, I didn't know if I'd have enough fuel in the tank to make the run. And so um, I was about 20 gallons short, which honestly, mathematically, it should have been fine. But, like, everything started going wrong. For six months, everything had been perfect. Every detail had been worked out. Fifteen minutes before I'm supposed to leave, it all went sideways. And then the transfer pump had a problem. So even when I was on the run, there was constant problem solving. That was going. I was refiguring numbers, like the spreadsheet I made with the towns and the check marks. That was going at all. Yeah, you know that those times didn't match. Oh, jeez. So now, you know, I'm doing the math. I'm 49 minutes out. What's this? So I kind of threw that to the side, like just drive. And so now, the first part of the run is all panic, like it's just (laughs) a problem. But then, when I got out past West Texas, I pulled the spreadsheet back out, and I was um, showing that I was on time. Because the little town was coming up and, you know, it said you should be there, whatever, 2 o'clock. And I look and it's 2 o'clock. 
I was like, well, I'm, I'm right on schedule. And then it clicked. I left 49 minutes late. You, so you caught up. I was 49 minutes ahead. It's awesome. Of where, how the time should shake but out. But it only so, took you all the way to Texas to figure right, that out. Yeah, exactly. So now <laughs> adrenaline no kicks in on that side yeah. where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I could actually, you know, break this record. And so that carries you through the second half of the run. Just this is what you need when you're doing a transcontinental run. More stress right yeah, at the get go. Exactly. But you know what? But, that at least makes it human. At least it makes it real. Because otherwise, like you were saying, um, folks that watch the movies or, or have this connotation, like, oh, this is kind of this mythical thing people do. These are real people, real machines. Mm-hmm. Stuff actually can happen. And uh, but the end result is worth it, especially if you're doing all the planning and you know you're super methodical yeah. about what you need to do. And uh, it just sounds like a blast. It, really it was does. it was a great time. It's something you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, you know, you you get to meet your heroes. Um, I, I would encourage anybody that's interested to absolutely consider it, even if you just did it as a a, a you know a tribute drive. Let's do it, Daryl. I, I think do it's it. a, the Volvo. You know, okay. and, and do what you can with it. I think every I think every American that has the opportunity should drive coast to coast. The, yeah. the country is gorgeous. You see so much. You see how diverse yeah. you know the the country is. Um, I'd encourage anybody to do it, but for again, for anybody that wants to make a record run or, or try to beat a time, safety is paramount. You, you need to think it through, and you need to make sure that you're you're approaching this properly and mitigating the risk that's associated with it. So, is there like a get together you guys have or anything? So, they're they're kind of hit or miss. I actually got a text message. Um, about a week ago that said um, the group was interested in meeting in Cleveland uh, sometime in August to kind of get the people that set records this year together. Um, but again, it's nothing official. There's no trophies. There's no, because <laughs> right. they said, Hey, look, you know, maybe we'll get together and, yeah. you know, have a beer and, you know, cook out or something and yeah, sure. celebrate, you know, what, what people did. Cause it was a pretty active year so far yeah. in 2020. Yeah. I think so. I mean, somebody's going to attempt your record, yeah, uh, and there's no doubt about that. Yeah, um, I mean, do you think that the COVID will will help them, or do you think they still have to plan so much that it's not going to matter? I mean, you know, I think I think my record is totally beatable. I mean, I, I told you about the problems I had, so even I left about 20 minutes on the table, mm-hmm. you know, with four stops. So I didn't even maximize my run. What is interesting is the the rise of the Fred Ashmore type runs because yeah, which, again which to describe that car is, is the rental car right yeah it was a a, a ford a ford mustang gt um and i'm sure there's some other thing you know that's special about it but it was in the avis rental fleet yeah and so it's whatever avis their high-end ford mustangs they were running you know fred rented this car and did a fantastic job running new york to la solo and he beat the team times yeah to do it, so he, he bought some tanks on Facebook Marketplace. Some, yeah, and I'm bladders. sure he had some from from previous okay, cars right. he'd raced, you know, before yeah. um, in this, and, and probably picked some up. But he did it. He he took the back seat out. He took the passenger seat out. <laughs> yeah, connected all these tanks <laughs> so idiotic. that you know he had like 130 gallons fiery crash in the car. Happen, yeah, right? and and but you know the point is, I, I think the 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 era of solo runs being a big time differential is evaporating quick, quickly because, mm-hmm. you know, Fred's done that for New York to L.A. So now you put in the the idea that, number one, my time is beatable. I did it in a pickup truck. Yeah. You know, somebody could run harder than, than I can. And then you get into the, the Fred Ashmore type factor that somebody could run it at 
159 miles an hour. Did he do it all in one and take without stopping for he, gas? He had one fuel stop. I thought, he had okay. some people meet him. I believe it was in Kansas, and they, they did a refueling of the car okay. on the side of the interstate. Um, <laughs> and people, we'll put a link up. We'll share some of the, the previous runs this year because 2020 has been an active year. Yeah. And people are probably familiar with seeing, they probably don't know the name Fred Ashmore unless they're really into it, but they probably have seen the you know on social media the images of the car. Yeah, uh, you know, that well, was, again, I'll say good luck because there's no yeah. official sanctioning body here. Mm-hmm. So unless you're in the forums that you know about, yeah, uh, and maybe you find some articles, maybe in Road and Track or some guys' blog posts, there's not a ton of publicity on this stuff. Right. As as a, as yeah. a award, or as somebody keeps accomplishing a better time, you get a little blip or a note on it. Yeah, but nobody wants to go really deep into it and celebrate it. Is that just because of the, the temperament of the public for the I, event? I think a little bit of both. I mean, there's there's um, that community will have get-togethers and and you know record holders. You you can see some historical stuff in their Facebook group. Um, you're right. I think it's kind of a balance, right? What are you celebrating? Yeah. You know that I, that I broke yeah. you know traffic laws across yeah. multiple states. Um, but I think it's for it seems like people in that community that have really gotten involved. They're they're very much purist in celebrating the spirit of of cannonball and with that that you don't see a lot of need for a lot of fanfare they they get it and there's a lot of publicity if you break a new york to la record you you'll get some of that um but these are people that do it for the the love of driving fast that for being on the road for for celebrating what brock yates did back in the 70s and that's what drives them to do this and and the engineering challenges of, of okay how can i make a better faster car yeah. to do this that's that's where i get really interested in is all the you know what it takes to do with a mm-hmm. machine because everybody's driven a car long distance or taken a yeah. road trip across the country you know it's one thing to do it with the, the family car because <laughs> yeah. that thing's not getting the the abuse and the sustained mm-hmm. speed and, and all the extra weight so that's what fascinates me um is just what's involved with that plus the human side of things mentally and the older i get Longer road trips are fun, but I need a break. Yeah. And uh, for you to rip through that, um, you know, that's that's super impressive. And, and that's where I think a lot of those achievements are very personal. You know, it's it's like somebody that said they want to train and run a marathon. This is just a marathon for cars. Yeah. You know, and can you do it? It's a personal challenge. I wanted to know if I had what it took to to drive the truck that long, and then could I prepare the truck to yeah. survive that trip? So even if I hadn't broken, you know, David's time, it still would have been a great personal accomplishment for me to say that I did it. So on that, you built a truck, you broke a record, and then you come back home. And it seems to me like you're the kind of guy who might be noodling with some other stuff or working on <laughs> some notes and be like, well, I could do this or that. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a different car and do this or that. Does it stop, or now you you plan something else? I, you know what I what I would say is because I've 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 made that accomplishment. The my gut reaction is move on to something else. But the truck's built, okay. <laughs> like it's okay. already so kind the truck's of there. not going anywhere. Yeah, I sprung for the tank, so like it's <laughs> it's, it's got one purpose <laughs> is to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, for me, um, you know, Fred Ashmore's run for solo New York to L.A. That was actually going to be next on the agenda. Um, because that was an achievable time, I felt like, for the truck. Fred's blown that out of the water. Um, however, there's an opportunity to claim the fastest truck record. You know, these records are starting to get subdivided a little bit into different categories. And I would like to do New York to L.A., even if it's not a record run, to say that the truck did it. Yeah. To give, to give it Tribute a little drive. bit more legitimacy yeah. in the Cannonball community. It has done the Cannonball route as well. 
Um, but then what's interesting is that this community's kind of taking off a little bit. There was actually a recent record set that was coast to coast to coast. Oh, where you go, back. Yeah. yeah, there you go to the West Coast <laughs> oh, and then come boy. back in like 72 hours. Yeah. Um, so the endurance driving piece is, is lighting up. And then what's actually else is really cool, um, a, a group has started, um, it was called Eastbound and Down. It's now called the Southern Classic, but it's the Smokey and the Bandit route. Sure. So you leave the Atlanta Fairgrounds, you got to drive to Texarkana, Texas, buy a course, six pack of course, yeah. and come back. <laughs> and that's actually a, a speed run that's happening now. Oh, that would be. St- it's becoming kind of an organized event. Did you see the guy at Cars and Coffee who's had the the old Trans Am who was walking around dressed like? He looked yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he's he amazing. Just he's like amazing. amazing. Yeah. He was had the bell bottom jeans. Yep. Yeah. Need, it was awesome. Need to get him, and then we just need to find like an old Kenworth. Yeah. And yeah. paint it up yeah, like get the our Snowman's Jerry. truck. Yeah, well, that yeah, was yeah. kind of the joke because I'm I'm in that. Facebook group as well, and they're getting kind of particular about tr- a lot of Trans Ams running it. Well, I've got this brown truck, and I said, "Look, what if I get it wrapped like the Snowman's trailer, yes. and I'll chase and like everybody the, the horses you know, with it, and I've got this giant be, fuel tank? Can I just go? You know, even if I'm outlawed from you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> competing, let me just be the Snowman, and Dude, I'll that's run awesome. behind you." Yeah. Oh my God! I'm going to talk to Fast Sign and see if we can print that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some vinyl wrap. <laughs> Uh, I think that's. I mean, I think we've covered the whole gambit here. And, Any, uh, anything we haven't asked you, you'd want other people to know. No, I mean we we've covered a lot. Uh, it's a uh, again, it was just a, a great ride, and and I'm so thankful. Like even though that's a solo record, there was a ton of people that make that happen. You know, Steve Peterson um, getting the truck ready and that expertise. I couldn't have done it without him. Um, I couldn't have done it without David Simpson, you know, coaching me and mentoring me and shortening that learning curve. And then my, my personal group of friends who, who were supportive and, and helped me, you know, get stuff taken care of with the truck and my wife, you know, that, that was supportive and yeah, you better and, thank and, her. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's true. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the, the big thing is, you know, these are solo records, but you don't do them by yourself. Yeah. There's a ton of help and a ton of support. And I'm really thankful uh, for that. Right on. I feel like we were so tense at the beginning of the show, and now we've kind of loosened up, you know. So if you just, you know, if you tuned in for the first thirty minutes, you're like, listen, listen, listen to everything yeah. Steve said, you know. So, but uh, that's right. We were. I, I was. I and I feel bad. I didn't actually stick around to cars and coffee. We wound up going with the car club and taking a little tour that afternoon. So um, I would have probably geeked out just as equally as Eric did <laughs> when uh, he came across you. So hopefully, are you going to take the truck around to some of the more show, uh, more local shows? Yeah, yeah. Events? it's it, it's a little bit, you know, if you think about it, as simple as it sounds, that's actually the biggest part of the reward for doing this. I, I, I like cars. Yeah. I think they're interesting. All of my friends have some kind of cool sports car or muscle car. I've got a brown pickup truck. <laughs> now now I have something to say at Cars and Coffee. Yeah. And so that's actually the biggest reward that I get from this. Yeah. And it is a, it's a cool rig, and it's got a cool story, and we appreciate you sharing it with us. Sure. Cool. I appreciate you having me on. No, absolutely. And, and you live in Peoria area. I mean, yeah, I'm in Germantown Hills. My God, yeah. man. That was like, Really? This guy lives in All this area. Places, yeah. He's got a little accent. He's not from Peoria, but that's okay. We can deal with that. Yeah. Um, no, this is a great store. It's Peoria area, and uh, I, Daryl's like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, it's serious, legit. And he's like, no, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, yeah, damn, he, it's he, it's true. He texted me like like <laughs> probably 20 minutes after you guys talked, and I'm like, 
he's he's around here. <laughs> but that's fantastic, though, because uh, it just again it proves that this is uh, something that anybody could do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it probably takes a little money, a little time, a little bit of pl- a lot of planning. Yeah. Uh, but anybody, it's it's attainable, yeah. and it's it's not something you need to go out and buy a Ferrari or Lamborghini and do. You could do it with a, a GMC Sierra and. A little bit of engineering from uh, Bessler Welding. And yeah, some absolutely. friends, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Rock and roll. All right, so we would be remiss if we didn't still keep maybe a, a section of our regular show, and Steve's going to play along with this game. Oh, yeah. uh, anybody who listens to the show knows our, our favorite part of the show is Cars of the Week. Yeah, go on there. Yeah, I got the echo on it. It's not a moment of Musk, but it's Cars of the Week. Cars of the Week. Daryl and I peruse all the local classifieds. Now, they're not necessarily in the uh, showplace classifieds like these no. be in paper anymore. No. But we go to Facebook Marketplace, bring a trailer. Even Craigslist sometimes still has a car somewhere listed somewhere. But we spend the virtual currency. If our wife wouldn't give us the checkbook, we know that we would buy that $4,500 Dodge Aries K car with 4,000 miles on it. True story. Because that's the kind of guys we are. So this week... Uh, we've all come together, and Steve is playing along great with us. He's found a car that would be his car of the week. And uh, I'm going to start, Daryl, yeah. because this week I bought another car. I see this is highlighted in red. It says, Eric <laughs> uh, bought a car! So, Exclamation point. What's the deal? Oh, my God. So... Um, How many is this, by the way? I don't even know okay, anymore. Lost track. <laughs> don't, don't, even, don't point those questions at me, pal, yeah. because really, uh, Mr. Fort did offer to give you a spreadsheet for storage units or yeah. cars, so if you need... Uh, Help knowing where your vehicles are I located. Might. Anyway, I might. Um, there was a hailstorm came through North Peak the other day, and one of my technicians had a Scion TC out back that he had bought from another technician who had bought from somewhere else. This car has been sitting for a while, but it's been stripped on the inside. Okay. This is how you know it's a race car when the heating, cooling controls have been relocated in the car. <laughs> That's when you know you got a race car. The carpet's gone. It's got an extra set of seats. It's got an extra set of wheels. Uh, it's a 2003 Scion TC. It's a stick shift. Uh, cluster and the dash are all pulled on it. This is a race car, Daryl. So I think what I'm going to do is uh, Red Mist is going to hit the bricks. I'm going to put Red Mist for sale with the race tires. Maybe get 500 bucks if I can for that car. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's got coilovers and race. I mean, the race tires alone, I think, are worth a couple hundred bucks. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. if it's suspension work done, I mean, that's that's a turnkey race car for somebody. Oh, yeah, to blow up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this thing's got a carbon fiber hood, too. So uh, I, I bought it, and it was a, it was a paltry $600. So, That's a good deal, my friend. Yeah, it I, is a good deal. I, I don't think I did too bad on that one. He yeah. was desperate to get rid of it, and uh, and it's not stock, correct? Under the hood? It's no, not no. It's the, got a it's got a bolt on turbo. I don't, you know, I think it came off of a lawnmower or something. But hey, uh, no, no, it'll be fun. What uh, what motor did those come with? Those came with a two point four liter four cylinder, I believe. So it's front wheel drive. It's a five speed. Um, it's going to be fun. My my thing is though, and I hate to say this, it's got a cars and coffee sticker and decal on the side of it. Uh-huh. So it's going to be my goal to make sure I change this car enough that people won't recognize it at cars and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I now have to camouflage it with paint and uh it did have some the one thing I'll say about this car, it definitely had a spoiler at one point in its life. So it's got giant holes in the trunk lid. This will be my my goal to work on over the next month to figure out how to cover those holes or to get another giant spoiler to bolt on the back of this thing. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, is it is it on the premises here? It is on the premises okay. here. We'll, we'll yeah. take a we'll take a walk <laughs> yeah. over there later. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up too much. All <laughs> awesome. right, so that's a little bit different. I don't normally spend that whopping six hundred dollars on any given week, but uh, you're, that was, st- you're stimulating the economy. I am. I am. I'm kicking yeah. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. that technician went on vacation this week, so I think he's having fun. <laughs> great, he's having fun at Great America, <laughs> right? 
paid. It's like one admission for that price. Exa- yeah, exactly. Daryl, you actually you stepped up this week. I mean, you're it's weird. I mean, this is like Bond car. Yeah, it's 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 weird. <laughs> and the only reason that uh, I I picked this car for this uh, this episode was I actually saw one of these in traffic. I was at a red light. Uh, I don't even remember where it was, but one of them just drove in front of me really slowly, like in a movie, like Fast Times, oh, Ridgemont yeah. High. But it's like moving in stereo music yeah. in the background. Okay. And I'm like, oh, man, I forgot about those things. Those are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And even uh, my wife, Sarah, she says, what, what was that? I Uh-oh. said, oh, it's a Uh-oh. Jaguar XK8. And that's what I picked. I uh, found Craigslist. Chicago actually had a 2000 Jaguar XK8 Coupe. And it's uh, finished in that beautiful kind of silver that just looks great on those cars. I think those Jaguars look great in silver. Of course, the British racing green, green always got to be green for me, and sometimes white. But some, uh, it's 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 got to yeah. it's got to be the right combo. But anyways, these things. Um, if you remember, they made these from 1997 to 2006, I think, and that was the redesign from the the classic XJ Jaguars that they made forever. Uh, but these are a little more refined but still have the beautiful lines but they have a four liter 32 valve v8 uh, all the trimmings and uh, this one here is a 124,000 mile california car with no rust so uh i don't know what the going rate is i didn't look them up on blue book or anything like that but or uh, any of the other guides but the guy's asking 6900 bucks and i thought that's a pretty car for seven thousand dollars yeah i thought the only thing i've heard negative stuff about on these (laughs) is the transmissions transmissions Mm -hmm. They like to throw fault codes, and when you dig into them, it's it's pretty spendy. Is this a, a Ford? I mean, is there a lot of Ford parts in this? I think this was. I think you're right. I think this is in the, that era where Jaguar was bought for a while. I think did BMW own them or something? Ooh, like I don't remember that. I thought there was an era where they were using like BMW parts for stuff. I don't know. Late '90s, Ford had bought up like Volvo. Didn't didn't they own Ford, Volvo, Volvo Land Rover, yeah. and I'm thinking Jaguar. Yeah. Yeah. And if it, if that is the case, you know maybe that helps the build quality a little bit. But um, <laughs> they, they were sharp cars. They made a limited edition coupe and convertible called the Silverstone, which had even more mods and had a, a darker pewter silver color that was even more beautiful. And I saw one of those at the auto show when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the price tag back then was like eighty five grand. Yeah. You know, of course, I'm like, oh, I'll never get one. Well, no, but maybe for sixty nine hundred bucks, <laughs> I could get. A well-used regular coupe. When you think about this, so it's 2020. This car is 20 years old. What are the rim sizes on these tires? You think they were huge? Actually, I think they were 18s or 19s. For back in that era, yeah, they were gigantic. Big. It reminds me of like when you look at a scale matchbox car to what a real mat- what a <laughs> yeah, car right, would be. Right, they would right. be like 24 inch rims. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this car looks like it's a matchbox car because they're, they're gigantic. But it, that was a that was a big deal. These cars had a real attractive look, and they they were the four forerunner of that yeah. basically a little bit a little bit so that was my pick dude that's um, a great car for seven grand Good yeah, it is it's, it's really nice it's probably what a transmission replacement costs <laughs> one of those two so it's just food for thought yeah all right steve you found i think the winner of the night though what do you oh, got for here? sure so i've got uh, a 1976 mercury montego not and it is the mx villager wagon and so this car's for sale out of uh, Jasper, Georgia. I found it on Obscure Cars for Sale, the Facebook Which, group. First off, we got to put a link to that Facebook group. We didn't even know yeah. it existed until you sat down at the table yeah. tonight. I made a note here to follow this group, so I'm going to yeah. put in a request. So you might there's see some one. great stuff there. Yeah, um, eighty five hundred bucks. But this thing that's strong never, money for this wagon. It is, but she's a peach. Yeah. So <laughs> she is one of two hundred and thirty that was built with a four sixty. 
Um, so she's got a, a big block Ford in it. Wow. Um, if, if you've never seen one of these, and I hadn't, the pictures just struck me. It looks like a cool version of the family truckster yeah. from Vacation. Um, wood panel. This one's uh, kind of a cream color. It's like a fast version. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of got these aerodynamic looks, some sporty wheels on it, tinted windows. And I think there's just so much you could do with this car. Like, number one, it'd make a great cannonball car. Oh, I, I think the tank 100%. from the truck would fit in this car with in the, no modifications. I think would. you could just slide it in and and get it hooked up. You know, or you could turn it into some kind of obnoxious drag car, um, or really just a great cruiser for you and ten of your friends yeah, to, to ride around in and do something really crazy with the engine. I, I just thought it was really cool. Someone out there might correct me. I think the Montego was like the Torino. It's a mid. It's not the full full size. Yeah. I don't think. I, I don't think so. And I've never seen the wagon. No, um, I, I, like yeah, you threw me for a loop when I saw it. And then the fact that the villager name shows up in here, I'm like, oh, there's some heritage to that name. I didn't even yeah, know right. it existed. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's uh, the the wood on the sides. I think it was the villager. Um, and then the upscale one for the what's the uh, marquee, the Grand Marquis. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think that was the Colony Park. So, yeah, the Country gotcha. Squire was the yeah. Ford that had the wood. But either way, I've never seen anyone like this. I think the it's got, like, the Magnum 500 wheels from a Mustang or something on yeah. there. Yeah, it, they did look sportier. So yeah. cool. That's a great find. And I don't know, 8500 bucks. I mean, if, if, it's, if there's no rust, then, yeah, I'd say it's worth the money. I mean... You can hide that thing out as long as it's been down Georgia its whole life, right? Yeah, and and, and maybe it's got some you know provenance to it being one of two hundred and thirty. I got to be honest with you, I would do something really dumb with that car. I would <laughs> absolutely do something crazy with it, so I would ruin it. You mean you wouldn't restore it and just park it in your garage oh, no, like the another guy at no. the table here? I'd, I'd have okay. a I'd have a big crate motor and a blower and you know <laughs> okay. something really obnoxious showing up at cars and coffee with it. Excellent. Now that begs the question: Do you have another obnoxious car? I mean, is this... <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you don't have like Which seven is... or eight cars like hidden in the garage. I for... don't. No, okay. and and so. This whole thing was kind of me to get some street cred to be a car guy. <laughs> I like them. And, oh, you got it. And I was yeah, I worked win. as a mechanic, and and so I mean I, I appreciate them. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I really don't. And so the, what's interesting about now the truck is it's still my daily driver. Yeah. I go to the grocery store. Do you really? Think, yeah, yeah. And so through the whole build, I had to be able to take everything off at some point. So I don't have like backup cars or other yeah. dude, this you know toy cars or. or kind of hobby cars I, that is it that's like the best testimonial too you know it just yeah. did this cross-country yeah. blast yeah and i'm gonna go to menards and get some lumber yeah right yeah, well, after exactly. i take my fuel tank out yeah. <laughs> so that, might need a bed that's why i think this mercury montego may need to fill the the second stall in the garage yeah man. i need a daily driver i mean you're, you've you already go. gotten rid of one midlife right? crisis yeah. task so i mean yeah. let's move on to something else right yeah all right plenty of room i think we've learned a lot and the other thing i learned tonight was how do you say tonneau cover again to know. To know. Yeah. See, I, I, I've always said it wrong. Maybe I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> to be honest with you. I like but, the way you uh, say yeah. it better. I just yeah. call them bed covers because yeah. I don't know how to pronounce to know. them. To know. But yeah. It's good. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm, yeah. That's what I'm going to say that next time somebody looks at me and they'll be like, oh, that sounds so exotic. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is kind of cool, though, to be able to just hide a whole bunch of cool stuff under the bed. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of what else you could hide in there, like moonshine. You yeah. could do like you, you could, could run. You could yeah. go old school, get an old yeah. truck, and do like moonshine runs. That is true. Yeah. That is go. true. Cool. All right. Well, 
totally appreciate this. Um, is there any video? Do you have anything like posted anywhere that we can link to? Or yeah, I'll send you a link. There's actually a time lapse video oh. of the run on YouTube, and I'll, okay. I'll get you guys a link so you can post. That. Excellent. We'll Perfect. share that for yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, I snapped a couple pictures of your rig out in the parking lot. But if you got some higher quality, absolutely. Ones, I'm not a photographer. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that'd be <laughs> yeah. cool. If, uh, maybe your uh, radio setup and uh, your absolutely. tech stack, if yeah. you yeah. will. So. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, the next time you're doing a run, if you need like two guys as co-pilots. Yeah. I mean. I'll or just to sit in the garage and watch you on GPS and drink beer and say, welcome to the next state. Abs- we abs- will, absolutely. We will timestamp and verify. <laughs> you, you will be the first phone calls I make. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Not a problem. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, remember, you can uh, share this show with all your friends. Tell them what a great time you had with Throwing Wrenches. And remember, the Patreon show gives you just that little bit more. There's some good stuff in this one. I'm not going to lie. You're definitely going to want to check that out. Till next time, I'm Daryl Scott. I'm Eric Stahl. And I'm Steve Brown. See you next time.